0: You know, property doesn't stuff up, it's people that do, because people get (laughs) bored with it. They find a new toy that they want, um, you know, and, and they don't hold the distance. You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Tabitha Bright.
1: Hello and welcome to Property Investor Tales Stories from the Front Yard, where I get to speak to investors from, property investors from around Australia about their investing journey. Now, my name's Tabitha Bright. I'm the Head of Coaching here at Positive Real Estate, where we help people build wealth through property. With over 8,000 clients across Australia and New Zealand, there are some incredible stories to tell. Which hopefully make your investing journey that little bit easier and will inspire you along the way. My guest today is a lovely lady called Laura Chug. Now, Laura's learned the power of starting early. She bought her first property at 19. And um, there's also been some other lessons along the way. Um, Laura's investing has served her incredibly well, but she's had to uh, learn some skill sets. One of those is the skill of delayed gratification, so we have a good chat around that. And secondly, the key fundamentals of buying well, never selling, and the, uh, and the well-documented snowball effect. So enjoy this conversation with the delightful Laura Chug. Hey, everyone. Uh, today, I have the fabulous Laura Chug with me. And um, Laura Chug is not only a long-term client of Positive Real Estate, but she is also one of our long-standing coaching team. And Laura has invested in property for, you know, a number of years, and she actually bought her first property before the age of 20. We were just debating, Laura. I mean, awesome to have you here, Laura. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And we were just saying... That You've been saying that you were around 18 when you bought your first one and you weren't 100% sure, so we're settling on probably 19 that you bought your first property.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so I've still got to work out exactly what that number was and I realised that, so I've changed my my story about that and it's <laughs> oh, now I was definitely under 20. When I, the older I get, the more phased I get about those kind of uh...
1: details. Yeah, well, it all goes a bit blurry. I'm 52. I look back in time, and it's starting to get quite away now down that uh, that old timeline. But prior to 20, like buying your first property, um, first investment property or first property to live in, it
0: was first I lived in it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. So awesome. I was looking. Um, interesting story. Please, <laughs> I <laughs> I was renting from when I was 16, and huh. um. I decided, you know, I started doing a number of different part-time jobs. I was very fortunate. I grew up on a large property and there's always a large number of jobs to do when you're on a property. So you start off with all the the basic jobs of painting fences and ending it, you know, then I moved on to being a rouse about and then I've even, you know, cooked for shearers, cooked for builders. Um, Interesting story, I once cooked a cake with salt (laughs) instead of sugar and that didn't go down well in the tea room uh, with a bunch of shearers. So, lesson to self, never do that.
1: <laughs> so, um, You're on a farm, yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah grew up on a large property um, and had the benefit of learning how to work and earn pocket money from a fairly young age. Um, and the, my earliest lessons around money came from, from that, um, my My father has always been my my best mentor and he always used to steal half our pocket money and, you know, invest it for us and then half of it we got to take back to school and use as pocket money. So um, we learned some really good lessons uh, about money and how to manage it. Because whilst obviously many of my friends had copious amounts of pocket money, I was on a strict budget of $5 a week. And if I overspent, then, you know, that was less that I had for the following week. So you quickly learned. And then obviously being in a, uh, a rental situation from when I was 16, you really had to manage money well. Yeah. And so I learned some very strong lessons, which put me in a, in, in a good position to be able to. Um, buy my first property under 20 that I moved in and my main priority was like any 18 to 20 year old young girl was let's buy this property pay it down as fast as possible then I can go shopping with all the leftover funds
1: oh. <laughs> So it was all about so getting was- rid of your mortgage, so you could you could live the high life and go shopping. Makes complete sense to me.
0: <laughs> it seemed like a reasonable goal at the time. Let me tell you.
1: And so, this first property that you bought was it an apartment, a house, a unit? A, what did you buy? A what did you buy it for?
0: A little townhouse. It was sixty nine thousand um, dollars. <laughs> And, yeah, it's a beautiful little place. that had gorgeous little gardens connected to it. Can't believe I bought it for $69,000. But, um, you know, at that stage, you, my hourly rate was also $5.88. So let's keep it. Yeah. All, <laughs>
1: it's, all relative, it's all relative, right?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, that's... Um, Yeah, so I bought that and um, that sort of started to, I started to pay that down and and build some equity into that and that started my love of property. I then went, um, I met my husband fairly young and we bought our um, home together um, in Evandale in Tasmania. Yes. That's right, you're uh, a
1: Tessie girl, aren't you? (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> As a Kiwi, um, I have affinity for Tasmania.
0: <laughs> I give you the big, big heart from. <laughs> I went to NZ when I was in when I was six, so I remember it's green, and that's about it. But I. <laughs> it. But yeah, Tassie. Yeah. Um, Tassie obviously offered some really good opportunities to get into the market at very reasonable prices. but as I say it was all relative because wages were very low as well
1: yeah of course Um,
0: and you know my husband and I I got very focused on paying down our debt of our home once we and we kept the little uh, townhouse and um, you know we took that um, and I remember we were just closing on in on paying for that because our first home and that was a three-bedroom house it was $96,000 mm-hmm. we closed in on paying that down in four years which wasn't too bad <laughs> we were pretty- so, you,
1: so hang on let, let me just double check that so you paid your home off in four years yeah Right. And so even though it was $96,000, which seems just ridiculously cheap in today's market, sounds like a deposit for most people today, um, it was relative to your wages and the economy back in that time. It would be like buying a $500,000 house today, I imagine.
0: Yeah. Well, our our incomes were very basic wages, $26,000, you know, a a year. Yeah. So we basically spent four years, one of us put all of our money on the house and we lived with the other one. Right. So um, it it just was, you know, for me it was about let's get ourselves into a position where we don't have to pay for the mortgage, pay for the rent. and then It was all
1: about the shopping, yeah?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I didn't get back to the shopping. No, uh, it's all about security, I think, and trust have it knowing that you've got that roof over your head so um but let me
1: ask you um did you still have the townhouse Yep.
0: Yeah.
1: okay so you so and how old were you when you bought your family home with your husband Ooh,
0: approximately about
1: 22 23 yeah 22 okay cool just putting a timeline on it for everyone so Prior to 20, you bought your townhouse and had you paid that off, or you still had some to pay off? Yeah, okay. And so, you um, met your husband, you got married, you bought the home, moved out of the townhouse, started renting that. I assume would be the yep, yep. Um, was that cash flow positive at the time? Yes, yeah, okay. So, cash flow positive, which then obviously helped. did it help you was it much cash flow positive did it help you pay down the debt on your family home um no that was largely
0: based on because I didn't put anything extra money it, I just let that left that sitting on yep. its own
1: great I Probably yep. didn't
0: understand things as well as I do now <laughs> um, but um, yep. we just worked on our salaries our salary paying down the okay. um, awesome. home. And yeah, so. do you
1: still have that townhouse today no, no. <laughs> unfortunately,
0: I sold it and went to Europe. <laughs> yes, I. I um, yes, I did um, sell that one, but it's the only one that I. I you know, um, I, I have a habit of buying it well and then holding from there on in. And the yeah. only houses I've ever sold after that has been houses that we've lived in. Obviously, to get that jump, um, I, you know, right obviously. Up. the growth um, tax-free and obviously to make sure we have as little debt on the next house
1: as possible. Interesting. Okay. And um, and that as a strategy has served you very well, I think. Um, You and I often talk about how... you know, we would certainly be amongst some of the team that have held property the longest at Positive Real Estate, um, like yourself. I started um, not quite as early as you, not pre uh, pre twenty, but in my very early twenties, um, my husband and I bought our first family home. That wasn't quite the fairy tale um, outcome, but it it instilled in me the passion for property. And um, and I think I think if you can get over the boredom, would you agree with me, Laura? If you can get over the boredom of holding and Absolutely. not selling and, and not fiddling with it, just letting it do its thing.
0: Well, this is what I say to people. It's mm. you know people do, you know property doesn't stuff up, it's people that do because people get <laughs> bored with it. They find a new toy that they want. Um, yeah. You know, and and they don't hold the distance. Yeah. So my, yeah. the property that I've held the longest is by far the queen of my portfolio and that's <laughs> yeah. the one I bought at about 23, 24, um, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and that now is just cash flow paying the bills of everything else, you know, it's, it's yeah. and because I've held it. It's actually double, or well, it's quadrupled, yeah.
1: got, you know.
0: So yeah. from the, its original purchase price, so time in the market is so vitally important, yeah. and people yeah. are wanting that fast hit. Um, the one thing I think that I try and teach people is about delayed gratification. If I can just yeah. teach my thirteen-year-old son that, it'd be fabulous.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> um, but-
0: true, though. But I'll just work on clients for now. But delayed gratification is is planting the seeds, watering it, and then obviously giving it time to grow. And that's what property yeah. investing, to my way of thinking, is all about.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We we often have coaching conversations, right, with the with the coaching team and um, you know, the two founders. Jason and Sam Saggers, I caught up with them the other day. And there's some key fundamentals that we really want to get drilled into people. And there's always exceptions to rules, right? But it's good to have these, these sort of broad building blocks of your of a portfolio strategy. So the first one is buy, well, never sell, right? And yes, there can be times when you might choose to sell, you might trade a property, there might be a point to paying down some debt, Um, your situation might change. Uh, So it's not set in stone, but generally as a concept, buy well, never sell is really important to creating decent wealth. Um, The other thing that I heard uh, Sam say, or Jason say, I can't remember which one, they were talking about the first million's the hardest because you go from zero to a million, like that's whatever percentage that is um, to create. But then from a million then the next million is a much smaller gap to bridge and then a million on top of three million is even less like like the distance to travel becomes less and less when you're creating wealth i don't know if i've explained that very well um you were gonna say something it's Mm. the the
0: snowballing effect so you know you're You start off buying one property and it's hard, yeah. You've got to save your first deposit.
1: Absolutely. And,
0: you know, to get into the market. And really, if you want to buy quickly, you can't always rely on the market to, you know, Uh, get your deposit so it's about saving and and managing money as tight as possible and often when we're younger we have less expectations about life and and less expectations or less I guess uh you know things weighing us down in in terms of expenses so it's a really good time in your life to just you know get ahead and and once you've started to get two or three properties in the market, then it becomes that snowballing effect as properties then start to perform well for you
1: over time. Compounding (laughs) capital growth. Yeah, the the miracle that is compounding capital growth. Because I guess if you think you've got 2 million in the market at 10% is 200,000, obviously. Whereas if you've only got half a mil in the market at 10%, it's 50 grand and there's a, that, that gap. So the more you can get in the market working for you, the more you can hold and the more you allow that compounding effect to happen um, over time, it creates that, um, that wealth that we're all looking for. Um, so <laughs> I guess for you, if you could give your younger self some advice, knowing what you know today, what what would you say to young Laura?
0: <laughs> well, obviously, I don't think I could have started much earlier. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. however, um, my biggest mistake, and I talk about this regularly with people, is yep. not continuing on with my journey. So by the time I'd finished, you know, I was 25, I had three properties under my belt yep. and um, I'd finished my degree and I started the whole um corporate ladder climbing and Ah. so I put all my energy into you know getting climbing the corporate ladder and building my business experience which you know has served me well in a lot of ways because I've learned a lot about how people think and I think um, when you work with people it's all about you know people buy people before they buy product Mm. (laughs) and so it's always about understanding how you can best serve people if you want to um, be successful in any kind of workplace. Um, But, you know, I spent 10 years focusing on that side of my life And I forgot to keep going with my property investing. So, you know, during that 10 years, I bought and sold a couple of owner occupiers, but I didn't do anything further with my investing until I woke up in my mid thirties and realised and I do share this story well, I realised how badly my super was performing, even though I was in a corporate swanky fund. And I realised, you know, my properties that I'd held had, you know, doubled in value And the expert that I was paying to look after my super fund had charged me to lose money for me.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) And that was my aha moment to get back into property investing.
1: Interesting. Uh, And sometimes it does take these nudges, doesn't it? The the little bit of pain to motivate to move forward. Because from a coaching perspective, like often, not always, a lot of people are motivated by, um the desire to have security, the desire to have choices, um, you know, to not be stuck in the in the rat race as we call it. But often we see people because they have had a financial hit, a divorce, a, a challenge, or they might have seen maybe their parents not have options, um, or there may be some kind of um, pain factor. Um, that motivates people I think sometimes though fear gets in the way right and so what would you say to anybody watching this that is thinking of growing a portfolio that they're scared and they're fearful of making the wrong decision and even if they don't know they may not even recognize it as fear they may just be sitting in analysis paralysis or a bit of overwhelm or they never get around to it or they prioritize other stuff sometimes that can still have the base emotion of fear right that they put it off because of this unacknowledged un- fear what would you say to somebody that's scared of making the wrong decision well
0: to me fear comes from lack of knowledge And we all know that whenever we want to do something in life, really, it's 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. True. So if it's fear that's holding someone back, then it's about building your knowledge and education around what you're trying to achieve. And I think, you know, often, you know, the people that we trust haven't got or or feel confident with haven't got the experience in you know in property investing or in any in what we're trying to achieve
1: so, so our neighbors and friends and family and people you mean yeah. yeah
0: absolutely and for my a lot of people parents you know yeah.
1: um
0: parents um yeah and and so it's vital to find someone that aligns with your values um, mm. I'm very much you know someone who strongly believes that you treat other people the way that you want to be treated yeah and you know so when I'm looking for guidance and support from someone I yeah. want to know that they're going to treat me um, the how I expect to be treated and vice yeah. versa because yeah. that's the kind of relationship that I expect with people yeah. and um that to me is vital to to form that trust. And once you have that relationship with someone, then you know what you can achieve has no boundaries, because yeah. um, you know it's you're you're building the knowledge and education, you're getting the support you're then able to move forward with the goals that are important to you. So it's, it's, it's understanding that the team of people that are working with you have the same vision and have the same values
1: um, that, that align with you. Right. So um, I'll just put some context around that because people watching this um, particular podcast may not be clients of positive real estate. So i Obviously, Positive Real Estate uh, runs coaching and we teach people about investing in real estate. And Laura, like I mentioned earlier, is one of our uh, coaches that works with clients. And as you can see from um, our conversation today, uh, Laura is obviously one of our very much in-demand coaches uh, based on her experience over the years with investing um, and is a fully qualified coach um, with the Coaching Institute. I think you've got your um, certification. So, um, and and what Laura's uh, basically saying is get a team of people around you, like find, find the coach, find the mentors, find the experts that are there to serve you and get you a result and um, make sure you understand what they offer, what they do, what their experience is. Um, And I think that was really important for you, um, Laura. Um, You were a client of Positive Real Estate. I was a client of Positive Real Estate. Many of our coaches were. And then we've come (laughs) through that journey and then um, been invited to be part of the team um, to coach based on our success with our investing. Um, I've got to know, because um, obviously, um, I do a bit of prep on you (laughs) before I interview you. And and one of the things that I really liked in in a response to a question of mine in here um, was you also talk about the risk of not doing something. Because when you're concerned about something, usually you're concerned about losing money, not being able to pay a mortgage, what happens if your job goes, COVID blows up again. Like there can be any number of challenges one can imagine, right? But we seldom think of the flip side of that. Would you agree? The risk of not doing something, where does your current trajectory look like you're going to be in the next X amount of years, right? Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Because I thought that was particularly pertinent.
0: Um. Yeah, I think I think that um, probably what I was talking about um, was the missed opportunities of not being in the market. So mm. sitting on your hands, I, um, yep. you know, I I speak with clients, uh, you know, sometimes that have spent, you know, perhaps looked at joining positive real estate as a client no. five and 10 years ago. And I, yep. one of them actually springs to mind. Um, and um, he shared his story when he came to one of my information sessions that he'd actually been to one of our earlier sessions in sort of 2010, 10, 2011 wow. or 12.
1: Yeah,
0: And he um, talks about how at the same time, Sam and the investment agency were talking about buying in Dulwich Hill. He was talking. Uh, he he ended up. Yep. Yep. Yes, he he ended up buying in Cairns, um, and um, he didn't join Positive Real Estate at the time. Yeah. And nine years later, he turned up in one of my information sessions, only to find out. That Dulwich Hill is one of Sam's favourite stories, (laughs) so um, you know. And and I guess you look at that missed opportunity, and I I can't even think of the numbers, which I probably should, because I've heard Sam talk about Dulwich Hill. But you, oh, I can fill you in. Yes, (laughs) it's one of my favourites too. (laughs) Absolutely, because I think a number of the team bought in Dulwich Hill, and
1: yeah, well, I was a client.
0: Yeah. The team gave, up, gave
1: up on it and sold it but I think um, Sam held on to it did, did you hold on I've to got it, it. it's yeah. Still, I'm still, yeah buy well never sell right so so and this is for people too that you know sometimes concern themselves about apartments and we talk about this a lot um, I've got a two-bedroom apartment in Dulwich Hill and it's not a particularly fancy apartment like it is Really low brow, <laughs> um, but Dulwich Hill is, you know, inner west um, of Sydney, and I've held it like Sam has um, for quite a number of years. I think I bought it for around four hundred thousand, um, and it's valued around a million today. And I've held it for since oh, two thousand and eight, I think. Yeah, yeah,
0: that would make sense because it would yep. have been about. 20, uh, yeah, it would have been no,
1: about...
0: 2009, 2009, yeah. It would have been about 2017, mm. 18 that this gentleman finally joined mm. with us and yep. you look at that missed opportunity. Um, yes, he took action, but he, he took action in a market that didn't perform. That didn't
1: serve him, yeah.
0: And didn't, um, you know, give the same results. And I think yeah. he spent nine years kicking kicking himself, not following through at the time. So I think definitely um, at least he took action. But a lot of people spend so much time sitting on the shelf weighing up, you know, analysis paralysis, thinking that there's a better way when really what it's about is getting some leverage into the market that is good quality. In a good location, it doesn't need to be the best property. Um, there yeah. are lots of good options out there. It needs, yeah. to, you know, but it's a, you know, buying in places where people want to live. That's really what's important. Um, that's that's uh, that support, you know, the growth factor. Um, and if you don't take an action to take that step forward, it, it's lost opportunity because you don't know. Yeah. What you've missed out on,
1: hundred percent. And um, and so for my final question for you today, oh, what am I going to pick? I, actually, I think this is this is something important that I would like to discuss very briefly. Um, what do your friends and family think about your investing?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. I've got to say, I didn't share with my friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, um, I'll be I'll I'll be honest, when I joined Positive Real Estate as a client, I didn't tell my father for three years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my parents thought I'd joined a cult.
0: <laughs> my mother asked me, have you joined a cult? I'm like, no, mum. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So I think that's You know, look, I think, um, as I said to you earlier, I, I, um, my greatest mentor was always up until, you know, my father and still is. I'll bounce ideas off him all the time. Yeah. Um, But we've got to realise that how we, uh, you know, how my dad made money um, and Mm. how we need to make money is different in the future yeah. and to what's happened in the past. And we've got to keep relevant in the market. So whilst yeah. I'll still bounce ideas off my, my father, I learned that I needed to take on key um, other key people's yeah. knowledge yeah. and education yeah. so that I kept moving forward. Yeah. And you've got to understand, you know, the the people's knowledge is relevant to their personal circumstances. Largely, my dad was a farmer. That wasn't going to help me in the middle of Newcastle, especially because I didn't want to be a dairy farmer for the rest of my life. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, it's about finding other people that you can learn off and surrounding yourself by them. And until I was a coach, nobody, none of my friends knew that I was a, a, a property investor because you always get people that are ready to tell you not to or make you fearful. Yeah. And all that does is it exacerbate that fear factor. Mm. So it's about building your knowledge and taking mm. action. And, you yeah. know, one of the things i work with my clients on really, you know, hard is to, you know, get different people's advice yeah. and then make it's part the decision. of the six star team. Yeah. make yeah. the decision that's right for them absolutely
1: yeah. yeah and i really wanted to end on that one because i know when i've interviewed a lot of our clients uh a common theme once again is that they don't have people that they talk to in their normal friend set they they don't tell their friends i've got clients that have eight nine ten properties whose family and friends don't know they invest And the reason for that is exactly what you said. Everyone's got a barbecue story. People feel it can be weird and can be threatened by people's success without even knowing it or having an ill intent. They just, it'll come under the guise of concern um, and it can really mess with your mojo investing. And I know a number of our clients have joined to be part of the community and to have other like-minded people, including their coaches and and the six star team, but also all the other clients that they can tap into um, for that camaraderie um, as part of their investing journey, because they they can't have those conversations at home. Um,
0: and I think that's one hmm. of the the benefits of some of those live uh, mentoring workshops that we, <laughs> we held before um, COVID. COVID, and COVID yeah. After- COVID, yeah but um you know because our clients love getting together and sharing yeah. stories absolutely um,
1: yeah mm. yes well in the interim we've got facebook and bits and pieces um the live obviously
0: amazing yeah. for people to share their uh, their um questions really? share their yeah. little wins and stuff yeah
1: definitely. yeah awesome well Ms. Laura Chug, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, letting me interview you and get um, some of your perspective on investing. You've certainly been an incredibly successful investor, and um, and we're very lucky to have you as part of our coaching team. So thank you again for agreeing to this and uh, and sharing your stories. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you around the around the traps.
0: Thanks, Tab. Thanks, everyone. See <laughs> ya. Uh,
1: Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. As you can guess, I love hearing people's Property Investor Tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with me via email at propertyinvestortales.com. At positivementor.com.au. We would also love your feedback and I would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care, happy investing and bye for now.